following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Let's get to work. Do you have your Bibles? I hope you do. Open them up to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 16 is where we are going to be today. 1 Samuel, uh, there are those hardback black Bibles under every single chair. You can open those up to 1 Samuel chapter 16. It's on page 238. Open a phone, open a tablet. You're going to need to get familiar with where 1 Samuel is in your Bible because we're going to be here for a while. Um, And I want to, as we're starting, I wanted to say Happy New Year. Okay, because I haven't said that to you yet. Uh, I've been gone for the last couple of weeks. Thanks. Uh, I I always like to thank you as my church for giving me and my family that time off because we run pretty hard in the fall all the way up to Christmas. And then I literally like take 48 hours on the couch in stretchy pants. And that's what I needed. I needed like a good solid two weeks of lounging around to kind of refresh because we're going to run now hard until Easter. So this is a good time. Uh, but but I, I wanted to share one New Year's resolution I made. Uh, just so you know, uh, this year, 2023, is the year that I resolved to preach shorter sermons. <laughs> and just like every New Year's resolution, let's break it. All right. <laughs> Okay, First uh, Samuel, First Samuel. Now, I know it's a bit out of date as we jump into this together. I know it's a bit out of date, but Marcy and I, uh, we really used to love watching the show called Lost. Uh, anybody else want to admit they were Lost fans? At least until the last couple seasons when it got wild, right? But, uh, okay, Lost, uh, this was the first show that I can remember. Lost was the first show. There's many more now. But it's the first show that I can remember that would begin with the three, the same three words every single episode. And those words are previously on Lost. Right now, that's that, that, that happens all the time now, because there's all these series that are essentially like 28 hour long movies that they just chop up into episodes for us. But that was the first time I had seen that previously on Lost. And then they would go on to recap all that had happened in the previous episodes, which was really, really helpful, all right, because every single episode was a cliffhanger. Like every episode of Lost ended with a to-be-continued kind of moment, right? Well, well, we're going to start today with previously on 1 Samuel, okay? Let me recap the first 15 chapters for you. We have taken the last two springs, the last two years in our spring sermon series to start walking through the book of 1 Samuel. And so in 2021, uh, we covered chapters one through seven, one through seven. And here's where we were at in the story, okay? Israel, God's people, has been rescued from slavery in Egypt by Moses, Okay, that was Exodus through Deuteronomy. That's what happened there. Moses' successor. So Moses dies in the wilderness. Moses' successor is a guy named Joshua. Joshua leads God's people into the promised land. So now Israel is living in Israel, in the promised land, okay? Uh, and, And then we find as God's people move into the land, a leadership crisis arises for Israel. There was no king in Israel at this time. But they had these leaders called judges. And if you know the book of Judges, you know the judges aren't very good leaders. A lot of mess in the book of Judges. And we open 1 Samuel chapter 1 to be introduced to a new child being born. His name is Samuel. 
the namesake of this book, and he is a prophet of God, but he's also the final judge of Israel. He's the last judge of Israel, and he was the leader and the spiritual guide for God's people. And by the end of Samuel's life, he would have passed on his leadership to his sons. He would have actually passed that on to his sons, but Samuel's sons, we find out, are, they turn out to be dumpsters. I mean, they're just dumpster fires of dudes, okay? The text said uh, that they took bribes, okay? They perverted justice, they ran for Congress. Like, that's, that's what these guys, they're just, they are just trash, these two boys. So the elders of Israel, they come to Samuel. They say this, behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king. Appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. So Israel had never had a king up to this point. There was no king in Israel because God was supposed to be their king. God was supposed to be uh, God's people's king. But they say, we want a king. Give us a king. We want to be like all the other nations to be continued. So that was the year one for us. Okay. Then we picked up last spring in chapter eight through 15 and in their response to the demand for a king, this is what the Lord said to Samuel. Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So this is God, and, 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 and this is what we said as we started out last spring. You will always either obey God's voice or your own voice. Those are really the only two options in life. In this life, you will always either say, thy will be done or my will be done. And that was kind of what we talked about. And to Israel's demand for a king, God says, have it your way. Obey their voice, Samuel. Give them a king. Enter Saul. Saul, the first king of Israel. So that's who we studied last spring. We watched Saul, this first king of Israel, spiral out of control and fail, just like God said that he would. <laughs> just like God said he would. And then remember, and just, just so you know, it wasn't like a one-time failure. Like if, we, if you go back and listen to those sermons, Saul failed over and over and over again to obey God. He made much of himself. He built altars to himself. He, he did not follow the prescribed methods for how to worship Yahweh. And so the last words that we covered at the end of chapter 15 last spring are these words. You can actually see them in your text if you want to just like look up one line from where we're about to start in chapter 16. But the last words were these, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Some call in today's sermon to be continued. Because that's where we are today. Okay? We're opening our text into chapter 16, and Saul has failed. And as you will see, what's Israel to do next? To be continued. So here we go. Let's pick it up. 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 1. Follow along in the text, please. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? 
fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So we pick up from our to be continued with God. Essentially, he's ready to move on. God's over it. He's ready to move on from Saul and he has to like bolster Samuel. He's like, why are you still kind of crying and you're in your, weeping over this guy? I've rejected this guy. Let's get going. Fill up your horn, buddy. You're still the judge. You're still the prophet. Fill up your horn with oil. I'm about to anoint a new king. And I just want you to note one thing in verse one. It, it, God says, I have provided for myself a king. That's what he says at the end of the verse. You see, while, while Saul was chosen because the people demanded a king, now the Lord himself will choose his own king. And he's gonna come from an unlikely place. We're gonna see this in verse two and following. So pick it up in verse two. Samuel then said, well, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and then invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. So Samuel's a little nervous at this point. He doesn't want to go and anoint another king. Why? Because Saul's still the king. And Saul's been known to be a bit crazy, right? Saul is king, even though he has been rejected by God, he's still the king and he will continue to be the king for many years. He'll still be king for almost 15 more years. So Samuel's scared because, listen, kings don't like their kingship being challenged by new kings. So he's like, uh, this isn't going to go well. And so the, the Lord gives him a little bit of cover. He gives him some cover and he says, hey, go make a sacrifice. Go worship me. Go worship me. And while you're there, invite Jesse and I'll show you what to do. I'll show you what to do. Verse four. So Samuel did what the Lord commanded. Hey, don't miss that little bit right there. Samuel did what the Lord commanded. Please don't miss the necessity of obedience to God's commands. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and he came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him trembling. Why are they trembling? Well, if you remember to chapter 15, when Saul fails to put all of the Moabites to destruction, King Agag is hanging out with, uh, with, with King Saul. King Agag was supposed to have been killed. When Samuel shows up, King Agag thinks, hey, I'm good. Samuel shows, out, pulls up, pull, shows up, pulls out a sword and hacks Agag to pieces. So bro's legit, okay? Like, don't think Samuel's like some prophet that's just kind of like, you know, pr prancing around. He chopped up King Agag. So they're trembling. Yeah, you would be too, okay? They're, you're, they're trembling. And the elders say, do you come peaceably? Right, okay. And Samuel said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. So they wiped their brow. Okay, he's here to worship. Good. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Verse six, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed 
is before him. All right, this is, good. This is where it gets good, okay? Uh, Samuel sets his eyes on Jesse's eldest son, a guy named Eliab, okay? And he thinks to himself, surely this is the guy. Surely that's the guy. Eliab must have looked like a king, right? Surely he look, he's the oldest son. He's the favored son, He's the strongest. He's the best fighter. He's good looking. This is Chris Hemsworth, you know, right? This is Thor. Thor walks in. He's like, that dude's the king, right? That's what he says. Surely this guy's the king. But, but Samuel is only basing this thought on Eliab's outward appearance, right? And if that sounds familiar to you, it should, because Back in 1 Samuel 9, here's how we saw Saul described when Samuel saw him. And he had a son whose name was Saul and a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. That's how Saul, King Saul was described. And now Samuel sees Eliab, and he sees the same qualities that Saul had, and he thinks, surely this one is the guy. Saul 2.0, that's who we want, right? He's enamored by the exterior that he sees, but God steps in in verse 7 with the crux verse of this text. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. All right, let's stop here and make our first point about this text this morning. And it's pretty clear. God looks at the heart. That's, that's the big point of this whole text, but really that's the first point I want to, God looks at the, God doesn't see what we see. That's what the text says. We, we see externals. In fact, that's all we can really see. You might get to know somebody pretty well and maybe the longer you're with somebody, you know them even better and better, but really we can only see what's shown to us externally, but God, it says, God sees the internal. He sees the heart. And so what that means is that God prioritizes character over charisma. What that means is that God prioritizes availability over ability. See, what that means is that God prioritizes what's going on inside, the internal, over and above what's going on outside, the external. This is a biblical idea. God sees the heart. Now, this is also a biblical idea that's been hijacked by our world. It has. It's been hijacked by the world. You will be hard-pressed to find anyone who would disagree with this sentiment. It's not the outside, but it's the inside that counts. Right? Don't judge a book by its cover. Right, read, read you any single children's book in the history of the world. That's the only message that they're telling you. It's what's inside that counts. It's not what's outside. And that's what the world has done. They've taken this biblical idea and they've hijacked it. But while the world says this, while they pay lip service to this, 
The world does not live by this rule, actually. The only reason why we know that is because all of human history has shown us that women are always favored if they are the most beautiful by the standard of their time, and men are always favored if they are the most powerful by the standard of their time. You need only look at history to know that we pay lip service to that whole inside out thing, but we don't live by it. We don't live by it, but that's not the story of how God works. It's not the story of the Bible. And now let's not just throw the world under the bus, okay? Because listen, even we, even inside the church, even Christians, we tend to evaluate people the way Israel evaluated people. We do, okay? What looks best to us? Well, who is the head and shoulders above the rest? That's who we want to follow. That's who we want to lead us. Who's going to give us the most status? Who's going to make us the most money? Who's got the best education? Who's got the best pedigree? Like we like those things. But listen, that's a terrible way to make judgments and go through life. It really is. Internal character always brings more blessing into your life than any external can. Here's an example, okay? Uh, how many times have you heard uh, a guy say something like this? And he thinks he's being really romantic when he says these things, but how many times have you heard him say something like this? The moment I saw her, I knew I loved her. The moment I, baby, the moment I saw you, I knew, I just, I knew that we would be together forever. That sounds romantic, but it's horrible. <laughs> like throw that comment in the trash. You don't know what she's like, yo. You don't know what kind of crazy you're getting into. I'm t I mean, is she a woman of integrity? I don't know. How does she handle conflict? We'll never have that. All right. Does she hold a grudge? Is she obsessive? Like, you don't know any of those things. You don't even, she could be an ax murderer and she's hot and you're like, bring her on. That's what, they, that's what you're saying. That's what you're saying. It's not romantic, it's idiotic. That's how we, that's how we function, y'all. To men and to women, I'll guarantee you, 20 years into marriage, it's not that pretty face or that rockin' bod, right? That fit bod that's gonna sustain a happy and healthy marriage. Just not. I've done a lot of premarital counseling where I've had to like say some hard words to people, all right? Do they love and obey God? That's what's gonna sustain your marriage. It's whether they're a person of grace and integrity and character. We see the externals and we're like, that's what I want. But God looks at the heart. We do better to do some of that work ourselves. Now, just a point of clarity here. It seems unfair that God is like, Eliab, I have rejected. Because we don't know anything about Eliab. We get that he rejects Saul. Why is he rejecting Eliab? Well, if you follow Eliab's story in 1 Samuel, as we will, you'll find out that this guy's arrogant, very arrogant, and he is very mistrusting of God in some key moments. We will get there, but there's reasons what God sees inside of this guy, and he's like, no, no, no. That's not my man. That's not the king that I'm gonna choose. So first guy's out, okay, verse eight. So then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. 
Verse nine, then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Verse 10, and Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Okay, you can imagine this picture of them just going through and through and seven boys. Nope, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one. Let's make our second point here. God chooses unlikely people. He chooses unlikely people. This is, we're gonna see God is gonna make an unlikely choice as these sons walk by. They probably very likely paraded these seven sons in front of Samuel one after another in the order of their birth. It's not explicit in the text, but that's most likely what they did. And this is what Jesse and Samuel both would have expected. It's what's called the rule of primogeniture. Primogeniture. Uh, It's not a biblical idea. It's just the rule of of, uh, the eldest son is favored. All through the ancient world, the rule of primogenitor is, is found in almost every single culture. The eldest son is favor. He always has priority, but it's fascinating as you study the Old Testament particularly that God's word almost always trumps that. Primogenitor almost never happens in the scriptures. God is consistently breaking this cultural rule. It's Abel over Cain. It's Jacob, not Esau, the older brother. It's Joseph, not the rest of his 12 brothers. And now seven of Jesse's sons have passed by Samuel and the Lord has not chosen these. God chooses unlikely people. He chooses unlikely people. God chooses the people we see as weak. God chooses the the people that we overlook. God God chooses those who we put on the margins, the the outcasts, as it were. When, when, When God goes to find people he's gonna use to change the world, does he go to the best of the best? Does he go to the Harvards and and the Yales and, and the CCUs of the world? Is that where he goes? No. And he chooses unlikely people. So none of these sons are God's choice. Verse 11, I love this next bit. This next question is awesome. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? Like, did you forget somebody? Jesse, are you sure? This is all your sons. I mean, it's almost like that scene in Cinderella, reminiscent of Cinderella, where like the evil stepsisters are trying to cram their fat feet into that little slipper. And that one guy with the mustache is like, hey, is there anybody else here like up in that tower locked away? There's some Disney mice that can help you find somebody else. Like, is that what's going on here? And Jesse, is there anybody else? And he's like, oh yeah. Yeah, I I do have one more son. Now we laugh, okay, but I don't actually think that Jesse forgot about him. Frankly, I don't think uh, Jesse is that dense or insensitive. Listen, culturally, it just never would have crossed his mind that his youngest son would be chosen. That's just, that's not how things work. 
Verse 11, Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? Jesse said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Now, we have to do a little Hebrew work here because this verse is confusing. The Hebrew word translated youngest here is a very weird, rare word in the Hebrew. It's actually much more complex than just youngest, okay? So uh, it's actually like a compound word. It's, a, it's kind of like a compound word combining the words for young and unimportant, It's combining those two words. So scholars would pose that maybe the best translation to English would be to say that that he's not the youngest, that he's the runt. He's like the runt of the litter. There's not like a good analog to that in in English. But the point that that the writer is trying to make here is that we've we've moved from the who's who list to, to, to the who's he list. That's what's going on. He's the runt. And this little runt, this last son, it says is keeping the sheep. He's, he's a shepherd. Now, shepherding was considered a very low position in Hebrew culture. Okay, there's evidence for, drawn from uh, rabbinic Judaism that would state that, that shepherds are considered to be the lowest class within their society. They were considered the ultimate unskilled laborers. Their testimony, the testimony of a shepherd was not admissible to a court. They were seen as vagrants and thieves, as dirty. They're not even allowed in the temple. This is why it's so shocking that the angels appear to the shepherds in the Christmas story. They would never be able to bear witness to the birth of a king. And all this points to why Jesse, I just don't think he ever thought, oh, that other guy, yeah. I forgot about him. No, he just never would have thought that this last son needed to be included. He said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him for we will not sit down till he comes here. And so he sent and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Again, some more Hebrew stuff that's really helpful here. The text says that this last son was ruddy. It says ruddy. Now that's a strange Hebrew word once again. Um, That word can be translated into two meanings. One, freckle-faced and red-haired. Two, disheveled, tan, and stinking of the pasture. How one word can mean those two things, I have no idea, okay? Um, But both would fit here. If he got scrubbed up and cleaned up, maybe bro had red hair and was freckly. If not, maybe he's been out with the sheep and he's tan and he's disheveled and he stinketh, all right? But, But either way, he was ruddy. And then the text says he had beautiful eyes, okay? Now, we don't really know what that means, Like that Hebrew doesn't translate. We don't really know what that means. If you have a less literal translation than the English standard version, yours might say that he had a fine appearance. It says it has a fine appearance, which sounds to me like they're starting to try and rehash about these externals that were mentioned with Eliab. And so I would just say that's weak sauce. Throw those translations away. All right. Don't really, don't really. Okay. Don't really, but get you an ESV. All right. Um, 
I vote we keep the literal translation, even if we don't understand what it's saying, because that's what's there, all right? But this is what it literally says. He was ruddy with beautiful eyes and he was handsome. Now that feels like it's externals, but here's what the commentators agree upon. The point that they think the writer is trying to make is that David is cute. He's like cute in comparison to Eliab. He's not described the same way as Saul and Eliab. He's described as as handsome and and he's got these beautiful eyes and he smells weird and maybe has some freckles, okay? But but like, but he's cute. Like maybe he's red-haired, maybe he's tan, he's he's handsome, but he's but here, here's the point. He is far from the valiant warrior type that you're looking for. His externals make him an unlikely choice for king. Bro comes, bro comes walking in there like, 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 a, like a shepherd Bieber, Justin Bieber. Just kind of, that's kind of how he slides in there, all slick. But remember, that's, that's not what they're looking for here. Okay, remember back to 1 Samuel 8. I'll put this up on the screen. This is what they ask for when they demand a king. They said, no, there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. Now listen to this. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Listen, if you're, if you're looking for a king who can fight your battles for you, you want a dude who looks like he can kill other dudes. That's what you want. Like, okay, so listen, I'm a man, all right? Just to be clear, that's, that's difficult to define these days, but I just let you know, I am a man, all right? I have a beard, okay? I like to fish, just so you know, all right? I wear blue jeans and boots. I love sports and I work out. I have a beautiful wife. I have a beautiful daughter. I drive a truck. I like chicken wings and Chipotle, Okay. If you come over to my house, I can grill you a steak, perfect, medium rare, like Jesus would have eaten it, all right? That's how I would have done it, okay? I like to mow my lawn. I have tattoos, more than one, less than a dozen, all right? Just so you know, all right? I own a gun. I own a gun, and if you break into my house and threaten my girls, I would use it and start a prison ministry from the inside, okay? And none of that makes me a man. It makes me awesome, all right? <laughs> but not a man. And that's not how the writer is describing David. He's not described as this burly man's man. But the Lord said, arise and anoint him, for this is he, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Imagine that scene. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. That's the end of our text for this morning. And it's here at the end of our passage that I wanna make my final point. God forms us for the future. God, God sees the heart. He, he chooses unlikely people and then he forms us for the future because our text actually ends today with a to be continued. 
to be continued because Samuel anoints David, the spirit rushes upon David. And then what happens? He heads back to the pasture. He goes back to shepherding sheep. He heads back to be continued. That's what happens at the end of this text. After David is anointed by Samuel, he will not be coronated king for 15 years. Saul is still the king to be continued. But I want you to note that in this to be continued, God begins to form David into who he needed to be for the future. Think about it. We'll study all this this year, but think about this. In in this to be continued, God develops David's skill with a slingshot. You just picture him sitting out with the sheep, swinging that thing, knocking that sheep that's kind of weird. Just practicing, you know, just doing his thing. That's going to come in handy later. In his little to be continued, David, he probably had a lot of free time on his hands. I don't know. I've not, you know, shepherded literally. Okay. But like, uh, I'm imagining he's got his harp out there and he's sitting around the fire and the sheep are munching on grass or whatever. He's probably learning how to play that thing real well. Maybe wrote some songs. Well, those will lead him somewhere. Actually, it'll get him his first job in the palace. We'll hear about that next week. In his to be continued, David he grows in courage. He'll later say that, that, that in the pasture, shepherding the sheep, that's where God enabled him to defeat a lion and a bear. And so he knows at that point, he has courage at that point when there's an enemy of Israel terrifying the army. Where did he get that courage? Well, he developed it in the pasture. In his to-be-continued, David also learned humility. I mean, how does it feel to be anointed by Samuel in front of all of your brothers? And they're like, get you back to the pasture. He learned humility, slogging it in day in and day out at a lowly and dirty job. See, what God is forming in David in the pasture is essential to his future in the palace. What he's doing in his to be continued is what he will need for God's future for him. And church, I just want to offer this to you. I think this is what God still does to us. In our to-be-continueds, he forms us for the future. Uh, mamas in here, young mamas in here. We got a lot of you young mamas in here. What'd you do today? Well, All I did was change diapers and clean up after little people. No. No, no. You you were building and forming those children. And, and, And what's more, God was building character in you. He is at work in you and through you, shaping you and maturing you into the woman he wants you to be. So yeah, wrap those diapers up, clean those blocks up, but but God's forming you for the future in that. Uh, Businessmen, businesswomen, you just work, you work. You're going to work tomorrow. What'd you do today? Man, I went to a dead end job. Made a buck, sold a thing, did a thing. My boss doesn't even like me. 
No, no, no. God is building character in you. You slogging away at your job, man, who knows what God's gonna do through that faithfulness in your heart? Hey, students, what are you doing right now? I'm studying some lame things about history and math. I'll probably never use them. You're right. That's the secret, okay? Probably not, all right? But listen, God's, God is building character in you in this. He's preparing you for, for tests that aren't written, that aren't scantron, that aren't essay. He's preparing you for life with him. God's using you in this time. Church, here's the rule of the to be continued, okay? You can write this one down. Faithfulness in the small produces power in the big. In your to be continued, faithfulness in the small things will produce in you what you need to be powerful in the big. David needed the formation of his to be continued to have the power he needed to be the king, the man after God's own heart. He forms us for our future. And listen, all throughout the Bible, when God wants to prepare a leader, he almost always puts them in a to-be-continued situation. I mean, we, it's almost like, a, it's almost like a, a ongoing refrain, okay? Abraham and Sarah, they wait 25 years after God makes them a promise of a son. They wait 25 years for Isaac to be born, to be continued. Moses, he, he goes and you know, kills that Egyptian, buries him in the sand. That's a man, Right? Murder someone with your hands, bury them and run. That's crazy, okay? He gets out of there. He spends 40 years tending sheep before God ever shows up in a burning bush and calls him back to, to let my people go. This is to be continued. The Apostle Paul, I don't know if you, we read Acts and it goes real fast, but the Apostle Paul, after he gets knocked off of his horse, he gets blinded and converted to Christianity. The text turns the page and he's there, but there's 15 years of him spending time preparing before he starts his church planting ministry. This faith stuff, y'all, it takes a lot of time. It takes a long time. Following Christ is not a sprint, it's a marathon. You got to pace yourself at this thing. It's not a microwave, bing, you know, quick, throw that hot pocket in your mouth. No, it's, it's a slow cooker. It's letting things marinate. It makes better food than that. Listen, you want to be like David? Dare to be a David. You want, you want to be like him? A man or a woman after God's own heart? Is that the desire that you have, Christian? Then you got to prepare like he prepared David. Don't waste your to-be-continueds. Be faithful in them. Faithfulness in the small produces power in the big, so don't despise the pasture, the fields, the sheep, the small things. Instead, learn to be faithful in them. So, all of those lessons that I just taught you are good and right. Those are good and right biblical lessons. God looks at the heart. God chooses unlikely people. God forms us for the future. Those are all true. Take those to the bank. But 
it would be a mistake for us to think that, that that's the main point of this text. That that's what God is actually trying to do in this moment. Because I just need you to know, we're Americans, we think this is about us, but this text is not about you. Ultimately, this is not about you or me. David is actually a mirror pointing to something much bigger that's going on in redemptive history. See, scholars call David a type or a typology. See, God would provide another king for his people. And he would also be a son of Jesse just many generations later. And he too was a very unlikely choice, born, born in a scandalous situation, born into an impoverished family. The, the, Isaiah says he had no beauty that we should even desire him. He didn't fit the mold that we would ever want to follow this guy. And this guy would spend his first 30 years of his life in obscurity, in the pasture, swinging a hammer with his family before he starts his three years of ministry. See, David's life is a, it's a type, it's a typology, it's a mirror that's pointing us to the true king, to Jesus. I mean, think about it. Even after David is anointed and he's filled with the spirit and he goes back to be with the sheep where he's formed, after Jesus is baptized and the spirit descends on him like a dove, what happens? The spirit drives him out into the wilderness to be tempted. See what's going on here? There's parallels. Jesus is the man with truly perfect character. Jesus is the man who truly has a heart for God. And, and unlike David, his coronation wouldn't come in the palace. Jesus would not be coronated in the palace. No, his coronation would come on a cross. Not in his resurrection, by the way, but he was crowned king of glory at his crucifixion. And in that death, we, men and women who constantly fail to be men and women after God's own heart, in that death, we have the opportunity to receive his righteousness. So we might be actually called men and women after God's own heart only because he first was. And see, that's what's really important to understand in this text. So it's about Jesus and his to-be-continued seasons. And then I would say for us and our to-be-continued seasons, the, the hardest part of those seasons, and maybe you're in one of those places today where it just feels like, ah, why am I in the pasture still? God, why, why am I still tending sheep? God, I, I thought you had plans for me. Plans for me to prosper. That was my life verse. God, where are you in this? See, the hardest part of the to be continued thing is that it feels like God's not with you in it. It feels like God has abandoned you in those seasons. But again, because of Christ's cross, we can know that we are not abandoned. And just like God worked in David's to be continued, he's working in mine. He's working in yours, even when we don't see him. Do you know this? Do you know this, Jesus? Do you know this principle? You need to sustain in those to be continued.
you need to be faithful in those small seasons because he's forming you, he's producing in you. You just never know what he's doing in to be continued. So if you're in that place today, I just say, hang on. Hang on there. Hang on in your to be continued because God is at work. Let's pray together. Father, we bless you. What a passage. What an incredible start to the life and ministry of your servant, David. Thank you for the lessons that it teaches us. Thank you that you see our heart. Thank you that you choose the unlikely. Many of us don't fit in that likely category. And thank you, Father, that your promise is that you form us when we're in the pasture, when we're in the field, when we're at work, when we're at home, when we're doing seemingly meaningless small things that you are at work, even when we don't see you. But Lord, thank you more so for the picture that David is for us of who would come after him. That the king who's a man after God's own heart is yes, David, but, but more Jesus. And so we surrender once again to you, King Jesus. We bow the knee to you once again. Remind us that you walk with us in those valleys. Remind us that in our to be continued, we can take hope that you have not left us nor forsaken us nor abandoned us because you went to the cross for us. And if you died for us, then you are for us and not against us. Remind us when we, when we doubt. Remind us when we wander. Remind, remind us when we're scared or we're angry or we're confused. And give us, through the power of your Holy Spirit, the courage to practice our sling, to practice the harp, to grow in our courage and our humility so that we would be prepared for the things you have for us. Father, we love you. Thank you for this text. We look forward to, to learning from your scriptures, Father, about David and Israel. And we pray that it would transform us as followers of you in 2023. We pray this in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit and all God's people said, amen.